Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the book of 2 Kings, chapter 22, verses 1 to 10, verses 14 to 20, chapter 23, verses 1 to 3. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. He reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedida, daughter of Adahiah of Buskaf. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. In the 18th year of King Josiah, the king sent Shaphan, son of Adahia, son of Meshulam, the secretary to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to the high priest Hilkiah and have him add up the entire sum of the savour that has been brought into the house of the Lord, that the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. Let it be given into the hand of the workers who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Let them give it to the workers who are at the house of the Lord repairing the house. That is, to the carpenters, to the builders, to the masons, and let them use it to buy timber and quarry stone to repair the house. But no accounting shall be asked from them for the silver that is delivered into their hand, for they deal honestly. The high priest Hilkiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. When Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, he read it. Then Shaphan, the secretary, came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have melted down the silver that was found in the house and have delivered it to the hand of the workers who have oversight of the house of the Lord. Shaphan the secretary informed the king, the priest Hilkiah has given me a book. Shaphan then read it aloud to the king. So the priest Hilkiah, he come, Ashbor, Shaphan, and Isaiah went to the prophet Huldah, the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, son of Hahaz, people of the wardrobe. She resided in Jerusalem in the second quarter, where they consulted her. She declared to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, I will indeed bring disaster on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book that the king of Judah has read. Because they have abandoned me and have made offerings to other gods, so that they have provoked me to anger with all the work of their hands, therefore my wrath will be kindled against this place, and it will not be quenched. But as to the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, 
thus shall you say to him. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. Regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent and you humbled yourself before the Lord, when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become desolation and a curse. And because you have torn your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. Your eyes shall not see all the disaster that I will bring on this place. They took the message back to the king. Then the king directed that all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem should be gathered to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord, and with him went all the people of Judah, all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests, the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. He read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that had been found in the house of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord. Keeping his commandments, his decrees, and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of his covenant that were written in this book. All the people joined in the covenant. The Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you, John, for leading us so thoughtfully as ever. And thank you, choir. It's really great to have you with us. And uh, just a hi to some people I don't know. Really good to see new faces. Uh, do come up and say hello to me at the end. Uh, if, you, if you don't know me yet, it would be good to get to know you. Um, so I have a question for us to consider this morning. And the question is this. What God lives here? Uh, another way of putting that might be to ask, what God dwells in this place? Or perhaps to put it another way, what is the nature of the God that we worship in this place? What kind of God do we embody in our relationships with one another? And how does this God call us to behave in our then, our engagement with the world? These, friends, are profound questions, and they take us right to the heart of what it means for us to be the people of God called to this place at this time. It's been a tough few years, hasn't it? In many ways. The long-term impacts of the pandemic are still with us. They affect everything from Sunday attendance to the way we enact our mission in the world. The answers to the question of who we should be as the community of God's people are not the answers that we had before the pandemic. We had spent some decades evolving a way of being Bloomsbury. And so much of that ended three years ago. 
And Bloomsbury in the future will not be Bloomsbury as it was in 2019. Those answers are past. We need new answers. We need a new vision for what it means for us to be the people of God in this place. We need a fresh encounter with God's word as we hear God's calling and purpose on our lives and for our life as a community together. Well, so far, so revivalist sermon. You've heard it before and uh, you'll probably hear it again, I'm sure. And whilst it's all true, we still need to work out what this actually means for us. How does one have a fresh encounter with God's word? We know we need one, sure. But what does that actually mean? How does one hear God's calling and purpose for our lives and our community today? It's fine saying we know we need to do it, but what? How? Where do we go for our new answers, for our fresh vision? Well, the lesson of Josiah might suggest that we start with a building project. <laughs> a bit of sprucing up the house of the Lord. I don't know, maybe a renewed basement with a sprung floor and some good air conditioning and a nice classy glass screen. After all, that's basically what Josiah was doing to the temple when Hilkiah discovered the book of the law there. Josiah had become king at the age of eight and his coronation came on the heels of the long reign of King Manasseh. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I think. Um, the Book of Kings likes to characterise the kings a bit like that old book 1066 and all that characterises the kings of England. They're a good king or they're a bad king. And uh, the, the Book of Kings is, is very clear that uh, Manasseh, uh, it's not quite the immediate predecessor for Josiah, but, but the one before that, in addition to being the longest reigning ever king of Judah at 55 years, was definitely a bad king. We're told that Manasseh had persecuted the prophets, he promoted the worship of other gods, he'd enacted violence with ease on one occasion, even killing his own son. Certainly, by contrast to Manasseh, Josiah, our hero from today's story, is very much set up to be a good king. He's pious, he's careful, he is a fair ruler. When uh, Josiah was in his mid-twenties, he decided to embark on this project to restore and rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, which had fallen into some disrepair and disuse in recent decades, not least because Manasseh had refused to spend any money on it. And under Josiah, no expense was to be spared, and Josiah commissions the high priest Hilkiah to carry out the work. This is when things get interesting, of course, because Hilkiah discovers the scroll of the law. Now, I'm afraid our recent restoration work and renovation work that we've been doing here at Bloomsbury hasn't unearthed anything nearly so exciting. We did find a stash of newspapers and cigarette packets from the 1970s under the floor in the gallery, and we do appear to have unearthed a family of rats. So if you see one, don't be too worried, we're working on it. But Hilkiah, when they were doing the work on the temple, found what seems to have been um, at least part of the book of Deuteronomy, uh, a book that we now know as the, the fifth book of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, 
Deuteronomy. And the thing about the book of Deuteronomy is it has a very specific understanding of how God works in relation to human beings. In a nutshell, the book of Deuteronomy describes a kind of theological system of reward and punishment. Those who are faithful to God are rewarded by God, and those who are unfaithful to God are punished by God. God is, if you like, a kind of divine parent trying to train uh, the, the, the children of God, the people of Israel, through a series of rewards and punishments offered in exchange for human behaviour. And this perspective on blessing and cursing um, that is there in the book of Deuteronomy also lies behind the book of Kings that we've been working our way through in recent weeks. And it informs the assessment that the book of Kings offers over which kings are good and which kings are bad. So if you, if you kind of track the way the book of Kings talks about people, it, it consistently says that a good king is one who obeys the law of the Lord and a bad king is one who is unfaithful to the law. And the proof of whether a king is good or bad is found in whether their reign is a success or a failure. Because according to the theology of Deuteronomy, God will reward the faithful and punish the faithless. Well, this was all clearly news to Josiah. And uh, when the discovery of the uh, Deuteronomic law scroll was revealed to him, it affected him deeply. And he realised that the law of God had become neglected in the land for some generations, largely because of bad King Manasseh. And uh, as a bright young ruler with ambitions to rule long and well himself, Josiah enthusiastically embraces this theology and he institutes a widespread set of sweeping reforms. And so Josiah declared um, that, that all the people should uh, repent and, and start worshipping God faithfully. And the uh, Jewish historian writing the book of Kings uh, declares him on this basis to have been a good king, faithful and consequently successful. Uh, he pleased God and was rewarded accordingly. And I just want us to stop for a moment and have a think about whether we think God really works in this way. The book of Deuteronomy thinks so, the book of Kings thinks so, uh, Josiah became convinced of it, but do we think, do you think, that God works like that? Does God always reward faith and punish disobedience? Certainly many of us will have been brought up within church traditions that have taught this and which believe this to be the case. The theology of Deuteronomy is alive and well in the contemporary Christian church. And it takes various shapes. So at one end, you get the more extreme uh, gospels of wealth and prosperity, where if you are faithful, God will reward you with money and power. And if you have money and power, you can sleep easy at night because you know that God has given it to you because you've been a faithful follower. But then, perhaps at the other end of the spectrum, you get the moralising crusades. So people who, in our time and place, would seek to demonise the LGBTQ community, to say that we, we should pin our 
our failures and our sins on those whose sexuality or gender identity is not the dominant mainstream. Um, I'm just going to break off for one second. I think I can hear Solomon on Zoom, maybe tapping a microphone. Can you make sure that Zoom's muted for me? Thanks, Matthew. Brilliant. Um, and we end up in this situation where um, LGBTQ identity and practice is aligned with unfaithfulness and the dominant heterosexual uh, culture uh, uh, that has so um, kind of run itself through church life is the faithful one and then you get this narrative of well those people are bad and they must be punished by god and those people are good and they must be blessed by god being written onto church life it's all the theology of deuteronomy whether it's lgbtq oppression or whether it is um, whether it is wealth and prosperity, it's an outworking of this theology of reward and punishment that goes right the way back into the world of Deuteronomy and Kings. And this temptation to equate our own successors with God's blessing is always before us. It's really nice, isn't it? Things are going well for you. You think, oh, I've been a good boy or girl. Aren't I lucky? God's blessed me. But when we stop and think about it for a moment, we know, don't we, that sometimes good things happen to bad people. And sometimes bad things happen to good people. I mean, just you know, take a look at the book of Job, if you're in any doubt. I'm always in, uh, you know, quite grateful that the Hebrew Bible has the book of Job in it as well, because there's a counter-testimony to the book of Deuteronomy's theology, even there within our scriptures. But it's there in our own minds too. So what are we to make of this story from ancient Israel? Of a good king, as we're told, who reforms the religious life of his country in search of God's blessings. Well, I wonder what we're hearing God say to us as we fix up our own house of God? What word of the Lord are we going to hear that's going to guide us in the coming years? What wisdom will we uncover that will shape our community going forwards? What we will not hear, I hope and pray, is a message of fear, where God is poised to bring down judgment on those who are deemed to have got it wrong in some way. We need a word for our time, not a word for Josiah's time. I do not believe that reform in our time will be a purging reformed, focused on scapegoating the supposedly sinful. Although some of my colleagues in Baptist ministry are attempting to do that right now. But there's an interesting cameo in Josiah's story, which can, I think, help point us in a, in a more, more productive and helpful direction. And that's the visit that Hilkiah the high priest makes to the female prophet Huldah. We cannot underestimate the significance of this. The religious elite go to consult this holy woman in a male-dominated culture and in a biblical text where women are hardly ever even named and when they are, it's usually in the context of them being property or wives or mothers or some combination thereof. Here we meet the prophet Huldah, who speaks for God into the highest levels of society. And as we begin to discern God's call on our community, as we seek to hear God's message for our time, for our building, for our community, 
we need to do the equivalent of going to visit Holder. We need to take time to listen to the marginalised, the excluded, the oppressed. Because I think it is likely that God's voice will be heard through their voices. As we learn to listen to the least and to put God first, we may begin to discover a religious reform for our time, where the competing loyalties of our age, the economic, social and political forces that clamour for our attention, where all of that ends up being relativised before a God who calls us to follow a countercultural path of radical love, radical inclusion and radical justice. And this is what we're going to be beginning doing downstairs at one o'clock, listening to one another and to those voices that are often unheard in order that we can hear what God is saying to us in our time. The book of Deuteronomy contains the great command that echoes down to us directly from Josiah's temple via the voice of Jesus himself. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. Putting God first never goes out of fashion because it has never been fashionable to do so. But if we want to hear the word of God for how we are to live our lives, how we will spend our money and our resources, how we will interact with one another, then it is in truth the only place to start. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. And I do think we need to recover the word of God for our time. And I think we need to remember that when God speaks, God speaks a person. The opening of John's Gospel, we'll hear it again at Christmas. It tells us, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things came into being through him and without him not one thing came into being. And what has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. When God speaks salvation, God does not speak a text. When God speaks salvation, God speaks a person. The divine word is the word made flesh and the word of God that we need to recover to discover in our community is the God of love and justice revealed in the person of Jesus Christ so to return to my question from the beginning of what God lives here uh, what God dwells in this place the answer I hope that we will discover together as we listen carefully and deeply the answer, I hope, will be that we will find ourselves back in touch with the God of love made known to us in Jesus and revealed to us as we are attentive to the least and to the lost. And the question that Josiah may well legitimately ask us is whether we are listening carefully enough. Thank you. I hope you can, you can hear me. Um, yeah, Simon's sermon made me think about the relationship 
between the house of God and the physical place surrounding it. I mean, Bloomsbury has a history of strong engagement uh, with central London and uh, our renewed building can certainly play a major role in uh, establishing ties with parts of the city we are not familiar with, we are not usually part of. And that also reminded me that in the mid-1960s, the late Howard Williams uh, wrote very powerfully about the temptation to withdraw to the countryside where life appears to be easier and more consistent overall with Christian values, but also urged his fellow uh, Christians not to abandon the city with all its contradictions and difficulties and rather to pursue their mission there. And so I hope that the discussion that will start today will allow Bloomsbury to keep moving in that direction. Um, so my thoughts also went to uh, houses, but for very different um, I, uh, as many of you know, have been spending what seems like years and years clearing out of my dad's house following this in, in March. And uh, that's involved lots of trips home and uh, lots and lots of getting things out of the attic and getting very dirty. Um, it's amazing how dirty attics are. Um, and uh, interestingly, uh, it's quite weird that I'm, I'm doing this panel today because just the kind of thinking back, um, over the last uh, year, well, since March, I have discovered lots of things from my past in the attic, as you'd expect. Um, some good and some bad. Um, haven't discovered any law scrolls, but um, some certainly felt a bit like law scrolls to me. So I found a lot of books, which the content thereof, have, I would say, is challenging, to say the least. Um, as many of you are aware, I was brought up within a brethren um, background, so um, I, as a female, uh, had certain expectations placed on me, um, and some of the stuff I found made me smile. Um, I found uh, some uh, large, my dad kept everything, and I found some large scrolls, actually, that when you unrolled them, massive kind of, they were actually, um, uh, from flip charts and they had lots of Sunday school choruses on which me and my sister decided we then need to try and sing um, so some old-time classics like when the road is rough and, uh, and steep and uh, I met Jesus at the crossroads anyone who knows these kind of ones they're yeah interesting songs um, and it really got me thinking about well, where was God in this? Because not all of that was positive. A lot of it was quite negative. And I know that a lot of people here have had negative experiences in their past of God. And um, I've, I'm quite a different person now to what I was then. Um, and I've come quite a long way. And I think realizing that actually it's a journey and that, um, that I've had to rethink what God is and rethink what the law is and rethink what, what that truth is. And um, so I think as a church, you know, that's something that we're constantly having to do. We're having to rethink and look for God in other people. Um, and 
the other thing that really resonated for me was the, you know, hearing people in those voices you don't normally hear. Um, I remember that when we used to do evening services, um, which weren't well attended, but sometimes there were a couple of individuals who perhaps could be quite challenging, and, and some of you know who I'm talking about, but um, they, they would often say something really poignant where actually you're like, yes, that's the voice of God, and yet they actually were, you know, homeless. They were rough sleeping. They were, but they would say something really astute. So I think as a church, listening to those voices is what we need to do. I think as individuals, listening and looking for the love um, and I've had to, over the last year, think about, well, I can think about all the negative stuff. I can remember the negative stuff, but where, where is the, the good stuff? You know, and I found some good stuff. I found drawings and paintings that I did as a child that actually weren't that bad. And I found toys that reminded me of, of fun times. So I think this kind of idea of searching for God elsewhere and being willing to go back to that the, 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 the situations that are painful, that, that perhaps hurt you, being willing to go back there and perhaps see God somewhere different. Let us pray. Eternal God, creator and redeemer of us all, as we revel in praying and worshiping you among friends, we thank you for the joy of companionship and the blessing of fellowship, gifts without which we might easily wander away from the right path. O oh Lord, give us pause to acknowledge the debts we owe to others, especially to those who surround us but are often made invisible as well as those forming the inescapable network of mutuality, sustaining our lives and our faith. We hold dear the ties that bind us, the memories we share, the hopes and the dreams we have been nurturing together, and all the deeds and thoughts by which we claim kinship with our congregation's history and heritage, was a spirit we strive to preserve, renew, and pass down to future generations. Eternal God, give us strength, insight, and determination to keep building your house as wisely and generously as we can taking advantage of the spiritual, moral, intellectual, and material resources available to us. May we be able to dig deeply and lay foundation on rock so that when floods come and many torrents strike it, your house will not be shaken. Please clear our sight as we look for the best timber from the hills to please and honor you and pledge to never let your house lie in ruins while hiring to our own houses 
instead. Then, eternal God, always remind us that we are not stewarding your house to our own exclusive benefit. In the scripture we read that by wisdom a house is built and by understanding it is established. <clears throat> by knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. But none of us as a monopoly of either wisdom or knowledge. And also for that reason our doors must remain open, welcoming strangers who one day will be strangers no more. May we be able to embrace the complexity and diversity of your creation, broadening our views and sharpening our judgment. Eternal God, we finally pray to hear your voice loud and clear amidst the ceaseless noise of this world. As we grapple with manifold challenges and try to make sense out of the countless problems plaguing our society, at times in which even the very best of us may find reasons to be filled with loathing or pessimism, we feel we need you more than ever. May we succeed in gathering in your presence within this space as we celebrate you, repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. For every house is built by someone but the builder of all things is God. Amen. And now a blessing. Lord, let us go forth into the world in peace, dedicated to your service. Let us hold fast to that which is good, render to no person evil for evil, strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the needed and the afflicted, and honour all people. Lord, through the world far and wide, let there be light. And may your blessing be upon us all and remain with us always. Amen. Thank you.